Hi, welcome to Life Struggles. On this show, we interview or just chat with people who have mental and physical health issues, addictions, relationship problems, and anything else that life may bring you as a struggle. We give hope and our own advice to others from our own achievements. Our goal is for you not to feel alone in your struggle. Our guests range from actors, authors, professionals, and ordinary people like me. At the end of this podcast, if you would please hit our bell, that little bell up there, so that you will be notified of any new episodes that drop. And also, if you would give us a rating, we would deeply appreciate it. And now, please help me in welcoming our next guest. Hi, this is Christy with Life Struggles, and today I have a special guest, Curly Boo Johnson. Hi, Curly. How are you, Christy? I'm good. It's been a long time. Yes. I am so much in appreciation of you coming on here today. So today what, I, today, what I want to talk about is I'm from the Peoria area. Um, we've been experiencing a whole lot, just as everybody else is, but I think Peoria itself has changed quite a bit in the last probably five years more than what it used to be. You are originally from Peoria, is that correct? Originally from Chicago, but I grew up in Peoria. We moved to Peoria when I was five years old, but born in Chicago, moved to Peoria in 1970 when I was five. When you were five. Okay, so can you tell our listeners who you are in case they don't know the name, where it came from, and a little bit about your background as far as you know when you moved to Peoria you said you were five years old what your life was like well my name is Curly Boo Johnson I am 57 years of age just recently stopped lying about that (laughs) um born in Chicago born in Chicago uh moved to Peoria when I was five my father was Bradley's first black basketball player Wow. He played there from 54 to 58, 12 years later, 1969, 1970. They made him head of security at Bradley University, and we loaded up the truck and moved down to Peoria. And that's so how... while you were living in Chicago, he was going to Bradley, playing for Bradley? Oh, no, no. Okay. No. Um, okay. I, I guess I took that one. I was minus 11 when he was playing okay. for Bradley. Okay. Um. I was born in 65. He played from, what, 54 to 58. Mm. So, no, I, I didn't get to see his college career at all, at all. Nothing. But then then what happened? So he, he finished college, and then he, you said he went as a, um, what did you say he worked at Bradley as? He finished college. He played some semi-pro ball, bounced around a little bit. He took uh, – some jobs in Chicago as uh, a parole officer. He was um, also involved in physical education in the Chicago public school system. And then Bradley uh, offered him that job, which was huge at that time, 1969, 1970. There's a lot of unrest on uh, college campuses across the country. So okay. my dad came in to kind of save the day. <clears throat> With that being said, that's how we came to Peoria. Okay. So with with you growing up in Peoria, what was your family life like? It's a very broad question as Mm -hmm. far as what was it like as far as what exactly? Do you feel do you feel like um, there was any kind of failure in the system? Do you feel like there was prejudiceness? Do you feel like um, you were traumatized in any way? Or did you have a good life? 
Not at all. I don't think I was traumatized. Uh, we moved into an area of Peoria in which there weren't very many Blacks. In okay. fact, I went to Woodrow Wilson grade school and uh, Peoria had busing at the time. Select schools had busing mm -hmm. and my grade school, Woodrow Wilson, which has since changed its name, had busing. So I was one of the few black students who went to Woodrow Wilson that actually lived in the neighborhood. They were bussed in from the most of the blacks that went to the school, probably 95% of them were bussed in from the South End. So I didn't think nothing of it. I was in what first grade. My sister was in the seventh. Didn't think of uh, any type of uh, racial situations, but there were some things that I was that, that happened at the time. I didn't understand. I was too young. Okay. Uh, in fact, the first day of school, my sister walked me to school. She was a seventh grader. I was a first grader, and uh, when she went to pick me up when school was out. Um, I was put on the bus to go to the South End. So it was oh, kind no. of a, a racial profiling thing in which uh, Mrs. Ashenfelter, I can't believe I remember her name. She thought that I did not live in the neighborhood. And she put me on the bus along with most of the other Black kids to the South End, which caused a, a big problem with my mother who came up to school who wanted to whoop everybody's ass. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Mother's I just went down to the subjective. Yeah, so I went down to the South End, and from what I've been told, I was down there playing with the other kids like nothing was wrong. But you know, now when I look back on the story that my mother and my sister told me, I was like, "Wow!" But Peoria had busing growing up, and we lived in in predominantly white neighborhoods. I went to every school I went to was uh, was mixed. Um, we bounced around because every time my dad got a, a raise, we moved into a different house in a different neighborhood. So I went to several different grade schools. I was almost like an army brat. Yeah, that's what it sounds yeah. like. But it was more of my dad getting raises and we moved on up a little bit like George and mm -hmm. Weezy to, to a better uh, house, a bigger house. Sure, sure. So, but no, I but never had... Uh, you know, every once in a while, somebody would say something, some flippy as a kid. And I, and I did end up in the principal's office quite a bit early did on for, for fighting. Oh, every recess fighting. Yeah. You know, so. And and what happened at home when, when you ended up getting in trouble and you were fighting? My mother, my father, would, when they would have to call home and say I was in the principal's office for something, that meant that uh, my dad would have to leave work. Or whatever. Oh boy. Okay, and that didn't set too well. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. She, uh, my mama defended me even when I was guilty. She was like Johnny Cochran. So my, that was my Johnny Cochran. She really? defended me when I was guilty. So whatever I did wrong at school, Boo didn't do it, and I admit it. it. I, I got in trouble, and I got, I popped a lot of kids at recess. And end up getting punished for it, and uh, I deserved it. But according to my mama, so the Boo didn't do came nothing. From your dad, then? Pardon me. So then the punishment came from your dad, since your mom was defending you, or did she just defend you at the schools? At school. Okay. At school. Okay. Yeah. So once you got home, you're in trouble. Eh, not so much. Not so no. much. Uh, my my dad didn't do a lot of it. My, my my mother and my dad disciplined in different ways. My mom would spank. She'd whoop your ass, okay? Which is, a, well, spanking and whooping your ass can be two different things, though. True. And, and I I believe in spanking, so um, I, I realize that we're not allowed to do that anymore, which is unfortunate, which is part Man. of the problem. But if they'd had that back when I was coming up, that you could have, you, as a kid, you had rights. Jail, right? As far as getting your butt whooped, man, I would have took advantage of those rights. But uh, no, my dad didn't believe in spanking. He no. uh, punished in a different way. He was more cerebral as opposed to physical, as like my mom was. And so my give us an example. My what, like, get my ass whooped? No. What? No, of your dad. 
I, I think I we love, all know what it is. I love to play sports. I, I love to, I love uh, activities. I love to do things. So, so he would take things away from you. Exactly. I was on the incentive plan, so to speak. If you want to go to basketball camp, you're going to have a, have to have a B average. Okay. If -hmm. you want that puppy that you want, you're going to have to behave in school and not get in trouble. So it was, it was different. My mother was, uh, was totally different from my father as far as raising us kids, but me being the only boy, I was a rambunctious one and always into things. But, uh, my father would, you know, talk things out. And my mother was, Son, I brought you into this world and I can take your ass out of this world. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's that's the balance. But it sounds like the combination of the two was good. I believe so. Mm-hmm. I believe so. And I can only speak for myself, but you would hope that parents would be on the same level as far as how they're going to raise the kid as opposed to being uh at odds. Yeah. And I agree with you, except that um, maybe there's, there's exceptions as far as um, like my husband and I, we have two different ways, but put them together and they work as long as the kids both know that we support each other's ways, even though they might not be our way, we support them. And that makes, I think the big difference is if you're still supportive, you know what I'm saying? So you don't have the option to, if mom punishes you this way, you run to dad and say, you know, mom did this, blah, 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 blah. And dad says, oh, don't listen to that. You know, here's what you, you know what I'm saying? I didn't dare run to my father and throw my mama under the bus. Never. Mm-mm. But I'm saying like, that's, that's things that kids do. And a lot of parents let them get away with them. That's where I yes. see a problem comes in if the parents aren't into agreement on how you're going to discipline. Yes, I, I agree with that. Uh, I think it worked. Um, like I said, I got into, uh, got in trouble. I was a, a little hellion as a kid. I admit it. And people remind me of that uh, all the time. Do you think so that I was can't because lie. you were an only boy or that was just in your genes or you weren't mad about anything, right? You weren't like, you didn't go out and start fights on purpose, right? No, no. Um, it was just, more of uh Look at that smile. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, let's see. The fights that I got into, I, I think was just me living in Chicago. I had never met a white person until okay. I was five years old. We lived in an all-black uh neighborhood and on the south side of Chicago and I had I had never had a white friend until we moved to Peoria when I was five years old and and they were different there is a difference uh there's a culture difference and I think that was some of the things that I didn't really take stuff off nobody so when you were fighting was it with white people with white kids I fought black kids too (laughs) yeah so but so you probably but, know that today it's it's not the the blacks versus the whites in Peoria. It's the blacks versus the blacks. I well, mean that's that's a lot going on. Well, you could you could say if there's fights at, at Peoria High where I went, which is predominantly black now, and Manuel, right. which is predominantly black. Right. If there's fights there, of course it's going to be black against blacks more often than not. But if there's a fight at Pekin, more often it's going to be two white kids. So you end up fighting who's in your environment. So it's not like I sought sought out to to have a disagreement with with someone because of their color. No, but you you have disagreements with people for for different reasons. And I don't I don't remember in grade school having any disagreements about race. Good. Okay. Not at Good. all. But um, once my parents got divorced and I lived with my mom and then I was on this thing called free and reduced lunch. Okay. And at my school, if you're on free and reduced lunch, you were, you had to stand in line and you got to eat after. Bro, oh, that's were, so wrong. You were behind. Yeah, it, it was, it was dumb, but um, you got to eat behind the kids who were paying. 
they went first in line. So by the time you got up there, all the chocolate milk was gone. But anyway, kids would call you uh, food stamp, welfare, freebie, whatever. And I didn't like it. So I just waited. I waited till recess and give them a little pop. And next thing you know, I'm in the principal's office. But those were the issues that I had. They weren't, I didn't have any racial issues in grade school. Not at all. No. Okay. Do you have children? I have a son. One son. How old is he? He's 27. 27 now. So where did he grow up? Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay. Is the environment completely different there? Absolutely. Night and day. Okay. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about, so you, you, so everybody knows now you mentioned Pekin. So um, Pekin is where I am now. I do travel around um, a lot, but at any rate, so I want to tell you the story of me moving to Pekin, and it wasn't actually by choice, but I knew nothing about Pekin. Um, now, I grew up in Morton, and Pekin people, as soon as they found that out, completely judged me. I didn't know why. Judge um, you as what? Being uh, oh, well, apparently a snob? Apparently, considered a snob. Yeah. Um, and here's the deal. Um, both my parents worked at Caterpillar, which is in Morton, which is why we moved there. And we moved from uh, Kansas. And so I knew nothing about this area or anything. I was, I was in third grade um, and we were Catholic. So we went to a Catholic school, which was a private school. So, and then we did live in the newest, at the time, the newest subdivision there was in Morton. I mean, now there's tons of them, you know, it's spread all over the place. But there was also five of us kids. And both of them worked to support all five of us. And we weren't rich by any means. We weren't poor, but we weren't rich. Um, and Catholic schools do have tuition however if you are a member of the church you get reduced tuition Mm -hmm. but it's not free unless you can't afford it you know and so they do offer that and I think many Christian you know schools offer that Um, I don't know for sure because I've only always went and my kids went to a Catholic school too during you know grade school so but we paid tuition you know but reduced Okay, so we weren't rich, we weren't poor, we're middle class, you know, with that many kids, you got a lot, you got a lot to food and all that. So we went on two vacations a year, family vacations. Um, My mom worked first, my dad worked second. So my dad was there in the morning when we left for school. Um, When we got home from school, um, there was an about 45 minute time period where we were alone, but we had, you know, a 14 year old older sister that was there, 15 year old that was there. So she was old enough, you know, to watch us for 45 minutes until my mom got home. I interview a lot of people that say they were traumatized as children because their parents both worked and they had to come home and, and that was traumatizing for them that their parents weren't there. And I did never feel that way. And I didn't feel like, um, because I, I grew up with both my parents always working. Um, so I don't know the difference, but I know we weren't rich. I don't feel like we were neglected. Um, I, I feel like my mom and dad did what they had to do to, to raise us kids and give us the best they could for us. So uh, if you know anything about Caterpillar, they always had two weeks off every year vacation time that they shut down and that's when you got your vacations and so we did go on family vacations every year which is probably what they saved their extra money up for (laughs) you know um because there was a lot of us we were in a station wagon and we drove where we went on vacations you know so at any rate um moving to Pekin was because of a marriage and I knew nothing about Pekin 
until I started working actually out of town. And I worked um, for a company doing hotel renovations and we did mostly Marriott's. And I remember, this is funny, but not funny. We did a, a Marriott in New Orleans and it was a four month job. And the, I was head of the crew and this was the furniture, et cetera, division where they brought in all the new furniture and placed it in the rooms and hung the pictures and all that kind of stuff. So I was, you know, I had to meet the trucks and, you know, count the inventory and have the guys come down, the laborers come down and bring it up to the rooms. And then we had a group that would, you know, unpack them, set them, so on and so forth. Well, anyway, we, we got down to a, it was going to be uh, Mardi Gras. And we weren't finished yet, so we had to work a lot of overtime to get it done. So I had to hire some extra laborers in town instead of the regular crew that we took everywhere with us all over. So I hired the two extra few. And what we always offered them was a room to stay in at the hotel. Um, that was part of our, our package of Marriott's would give us. Okay. So these two guys that I hired locally. One night it was raining, pouring down rain, and they were uh, like standing outside. And I didn't know what they were doing. And I happened to be walking by and I saw them and I was going to my room. So I went out there and I said, hey, what are you guys doing? And, you know, they're like, um, well, we're waiting to go home. I said, you don't have to go home. You know, I can give you a room. And the one guy said, I don't live nowhere. And I didn't, I, I. That to me, that meant he didn't have a home. That's how I took it. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I'm sorry about that, but I'm giving you a free room, you know, to stay the whole time you're working for us. So you'll have, you'll have a room, you'll have food, everything, everything you need. That's okay. I don't live nowhere. And he kept repeating that. And the guy standing next to me said, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take you up on it. And I'm, I'm like, well, thank you, but can you tell him that it's okay? You know, it's fine. And he said, I, I am telling him that. And he's telling you he don't live nowhere. And I said, okay, I'm confused. Well, so, I mean, I let it go, right? So this guy that was outside that came in with me, we're walking down the hall. I'm taking him to the room. And he said to me, well, he was just kind of making conversations because it was our first one-on-one -on -one instead of a mm -hmm. group. And he said, where are you from? And I said, I, you would never hear of the small town I live in. And I told him what the name of the town was. And he said, uh, everybody knows Pekin, Illinois. And I said, well, how? And when he told me, I was so embarrassed that I even lived in that city. I was I couldn't believe, and I didn't know any of that because I, like I said, I wasn't from here and I wasn't here long enough when I did move here because we were traveling all the time to even see that stuff going on. Now that has changed finally, mm -hmm. slowly, but it's changed. But to know that, that people all over the United States knew of a small, small town of 34,000 and the state of Illinois being one of the most prejudiced towns in the United States is pretty sad. Yeah, that, that was the reputation, without a doubt. I remember very well. <clears throat> oh, I when they told me, I went down, I went to the river and I saw things written on the bridge and the whole nine yards. And, and I can honestly say that I was embarrassed for our town. Embarrassed. I have a family of mixed and... I, I did not grow up that way. I didn't, I didn't grow up mm -hmm. to look at color. Not everybody is like that in Pekin. That is, but that's what we were told growing up. And through sports, I obtained many friends from Pekin that are still my friends today. And uh, I mean, there's, Pekin gets a bad rap you know, for being a racist community, but man, it's racist everywhere. It is everywhere. 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 It's, not, so, it's not just blacks. It's Asian. It's, it's white. It's, it's all colors. There shouldn't even be a thing as color. I mean, white's a color, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It is. So anyway, 
Um, I can see in the background here, we've got Globetrotters. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, what do you want to know? Well, what do, what do people want to know? Were you a Globetrotter? For Was many years. Was your dad a Globetrotter? For many years. My dad played briefly. Briefly. I, I, two weeks, if that. Really? And uh, And I played 18 years. 18 years. So how do you go about getting on the globe? Well, I don't even think they exist anymore, do they? <laughs> um, they've uh, they've fallen off pretty bad. Yeah. Last couple of years, and they're trying to pull out of the COVID situation, and um, like everybody, it's right? not it's not the it's not the same. It's not the same, unfortunately. Okay, you are are very well known around here for the things that you're doing for Peoria and the boys with basketball camps. Can you tell me how that started and why? Well, uh, I played up until with the Globetrotters, that is Mm -hmm. professionally up until 2007. And when my time was up, I wanted to do something in my hometown. I was living in Chicago at the time okay. to give back. That, and my best, the best way I could give back was through basketball and what I've learned traveling the world. So, you know, I was speaking at a lot of schools. I probably spoken at more schools in the area than anybody. And, but I wanted to have my own basketball academy in which it would not only be a Peoria thing, that it would be an area thing. Correct. It would be a camp that would that would draw kids from the greater Peoria area. And the first year we started out, we had 90, 95 boys, something like that. The next year was about 150 boys. The third year we had to go to three or two sessions of boys camps at Peoria Academy. The fourth year, they they got on my case and said, how come you're sliding girls? So I uh, added a girls camp and we had three camps in one day. And it was it was a long day. We would start at eight and be done at eight. Two, two boys sessions and one girls. And then next thing you know, the girls camp went from, I think, 120 to 220 in one year. So we had to move. We moved to Dunlap in which they have incredible facilities, mm-hmm. very, very nice areas, beautiful out there, in which not only did we um, we move out to their campus, but we were also able to use the middle school in which the high school and uh, the middle school share a parking lot. So it worked out great. And now we got almost, what, 750 participants. I have a staff of uh, what, 70, 80 people. And they come from almost 100 communities now. So it's it's a camp that teaches basketball, of course. The life skills is something that may sound cliche, but we take care of that too. Mm -hmm. But also we're bridging gaps between communities. And a lot of the problems that you're having in Peoria, not only in Peoria, but the problems that Peoria have with youth things going on, Danville has those problems. Aurora has those problems. Springfield has those problems. Rockford have those problems. If you don't believe me, ask them. Oh, I know. It's a societal problem. And then, of course, you can throw in the the divisiveness in this country. That is, in my opinion, at an all-time high. So with that being said, none of that exists at my camps. I have created a utopia in a sense of brotherhood for the boys camp, sisterhood for the girls. And in 15 years of camps, never had one racial incident, not one. Never had to kick out a kid. Is there a, a charge? Pardon me? I, well, it kind of sounds like you're also, because it's in the summer, correct? Yeah. Okay. And how long does it last? One week. One week. So for one week, they have something to do, a place to go that's safe and something fun to do and also learning discipline and so on and so forth, right? Say that one more time. I got distracted here. Okay. So for one week, 
they're not only giving get, giving a place to go and have some fun, but they're also learning some discipline. They're getting exercise. They're in a safe place, safe environment. Um, that's one week. Yep. So, and, and I, I appreciate that. My son himself went to your camp. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and he won the know, mayor. He won the mayor's award. One of the, the very first, wasn't that the very what? first one they gave out? I can't remember, but uh, that's I think a very it was. prestigious award. And that's not an award that you easily win. It has to be voted by every one on my staff. So everybody on my staff felt that your son was a leader and somebody that uh, they wanted as a younger brother or a neighbor or a friend. And that's what that award is. That award is all about. And that's, you know, I remember he was, he, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what it was, what it was for. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know because I, I, if I remember right, we were starting to leave and, and you said, hold on a minute. We got one more thing and the mayor came up and he awarded that. And I believe he explained then to the, to the crowd, but Ryan was too young to understand all the meaning of that, um, that, that is framed and everything. Um, and of course he understands it now. Yeah. It's, it's um, a big time award. It is. Only and one, he, only one he, kid gets it out of what? Know, yeah. 300, and he, 350. I believe your your camp is what started his his basketball career as far as who he was not as far as how he played but as who he was and that was a team member no matter what you know and I I I can remember after basketball games at home that there was um, yeah when the boys come out of the boys uh, locker room, there were some older men sitting there, and I would always go over there and have some like food ready for him. So when he came out, and the this one night this older man said to me, "Are you Ryan Collier's mom?" And I said, "Yeah." And he he said, "I just want you to know that I don't have any kids to go here." He was like in his late seventies. He said, "I come here to watch your son play." I just love watching him play. And I said, well, thank you. And he said, that's why I'm sitting here because I want to tell him how enjoyable it is to see somebody that isn't hogging the ball, that is, is playing to win, but playing as a team member. Right. He's, he's not a hot shot. He said, and I hear the coach yell at him when he's in a position to take a three pointer, but he sees somebody else that's up close. That's going to make that basket or that's playing better that night, making their shots. And, and he'll look for them to be open and give it to them before he'll take it himself. And he said, I just really enjoy watching that. Ryan got yelled at a lot from his coach because he didn't take that shot because <laughs> you know? he thought yeah. he was a good three pointer and he wanted those three points instead of the two points. But Ryan had kind of a, I don't know. If, if he didn't feel like he could make it, he knew if he was on or off, he w- he wouldn't do it. He'd look for somebody that was open. And he Good still kid. says to this day that he earned, he learned all that from your camp and whoever was his counselor or, or his coach that, you know, was was teaching him those things he still says that today so that's good that's, that's good I, to I hear and we do preach there. that uh teamwork and we don't allow a lot of selfish play at all no and that's and why then, by uh, in you know, high school, camp just, is monday no. through friday on wednesday on horse on by wednesday screaming teamwork and uh pass the ball and and uh that's the only way uh, that you can truly win is by being a team and not, or the whole, uh, there's no I in team and all that type of stuff, but. Right. Yeah. Um, and then just one more thing about him. So he ended up getting on a big travel team that went all of the United States out of Rockford. And he was the only white boy on the team. And. It's funny because he grew he grew up playing, you know, all the on well travel basketball starting at age seven, and um, of course the team was out of Pekin, but he still played all different schools with all different races, and and then um, he got on a travel team out of Peoria, 
which was there was I think there was one other white boy than him on the team. Um, he, you know, coming from our family, when we we have a lot of mix, we also had a lot of adoptions that we did, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so that was never an issue in our family or even a, a discussion to talk about. We were just all family. It was all, we were all the same. And that's how he was. Now, he changed a little bit because when you get around a certain type of lingo all the time, Mm -hmm. he, would, he would come home and, and have a different lingo. Mm -hmm. um, but he was very well liked by the boys that he played with. They didn't I'm, I'm sure, him. you know what, I'm, if I know him, I'm sure he was. He's that type of guy that he will adapt to any type of situation. He's a good kid. And, uh, and I, remember, I remember him very well. Thank you. Um, so, and, but I think a lot of that comes from how you're raised, you know, and and what kind of conditions you're raised in. Agreed. And uh, so that's that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, to, you know, because there's such a problem going on in Peoria. Um, what, do you have any suggestions on what we could do to, first of all, um, I myself witnessed, I when, when Ryan made these travel teams, I was the mom that took a lot of these boys from Peoria to the games. And when I took them home, they didn't have parents at home. They didn't have a parent that ever called to see how their games went. Okay, that's that's a problem. That's causing them to be bitter right there. Even though I never said anything, I never asked for any money. I, I always made sure they were fed. I was a little concerned because I'd say, you know, if we we're running late, hey, you might want to call your parents and let them know, you know, that we're running late. And they would say, it, it doesn't matter. They're, they're not home or they don't care. That's a problem. That's, that's, that's not a racial problem. That's a problem with parents, period. Being there for their children. And, I, and I, I, I'm watching this go on and on and on. And now there's just so much fighting amongst each other. Um, and I believe that's still... Again, they don't have parents at home that are give you know they they care about that stuff. And I'm not saying all, I'm but there's a lot, a lot. I've experienced it and I've tried to help them and I've I've invited them over to stay with us when I took them home and nobody was there and there wasn't any food in the house. So I know those conditions. I what I what my purpose is as I'm trying to. As you know, Illinois has like got rid of so many things. We don't have state hospitals anymore. You know, our our laws have changed as far as a suicide. That's that's a really big deal. It's legal to commit suicide now, and that sounds dumb that it's illegal to commit suicide. But basically, what that means is that's against the law. So if you try to commit suicide, you can go to jail after you know if if you attempted and it didn't work. If it did work, you weren't, you couldn't collect life insurance, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, now it's not against law anymore. It's okay if you commit suicide. Um, there's no state hospitals, mental institutions for any kind of mental, you know, help. And there's so much, there's not free counseling out there. Um, that's for everybody. I, I, that's what I'm talking about for any, for anybody, not, not just one color, but but I think that's something that we need in Peoria is, number one, a place for these kids to go to. Not just for a week, which your week is fantastic, but some place to go to where, where there's discipline, there's food, there's shelter, there's things for them to do so they're not out on the streets, you know, with freedom to do whatever, because I think that's a problem. I don't know. What do you think? Well, a lot of broken homes in, in inner cities, a lot of broken homes. Uh, I think I've, I've talked to the mayor of Peoria over the last 20 years about the issues. And it seems like to me, it's just getting progressively worse with youth violence, gang activity in which um, neighbor, the neighborhoods have changed. And I don't mm -hmm. see them hitting any better because I haven't seen any progress. 
Um, as far as solution, the solution I have is one that's that's political and uh, these inner cities, they need better education, number one. And number two, they need economic opportunity. Okay? Absolutely. And the haves are not going to give up their chips in order for that to happen. And um, so I don't see much of a change. It's never going to, if you, it's never going to come like this. It's going to continue to go up. They'll, they'll get this, but it's never going to, the gap is not going to be closed from the haves and the have-nots. It's not. I don't see it. And, and the political situation and all divisiveness, you know, I don't want to get into all of that, but you see the problem in Peoria. Uh, see, the I'm, neighborhoods I'm have changed. Pardon I'm me? sad for our upcoming youth. Um, so, Well, you're seeing, yeah, you're seeing the result of it. I, I, I am seeing the results of it. And, and I'm sad that there's there's got to be something that we we can do, somebody to back us that we can we can at least lower it. I mean, I know there's not stopping it, but it's continuing to grow. And 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 that's not just there. It's everywhere. But right now we're concentrating on this area. There's got to be something that we can do to just, I mean, it starts at home, right? It starts at home. It does. And, um, you know, I mentor a lot of kids and helped out so many. And I don't advertise it. I don't put it on social media, the things I do. And I've been over in that that uh, that courthouse over there in Tazewell County more times than I want to be helping out some of my kids that have gotten in trouble. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be a common denominator of these kids that get in trouble that have been through my program. They don't have both uh, parents in their lives. Some of them being raised by their grandparents that it's difficult for them to grandparents. Yeah. So it's just a fracture of the American family more often than not that's what I'm seeing of the ones that have fallen on the wayside I try to help them out and like I said I can I can take care of them for a week you know right and that's that's all I got I live in Arizona I have a family and I try I to help that out makes as much you as sad. I can. it does it does but uh you know the the success story there's so many success stories of kids that have been through my program so many right. so I'm so proud of them and what they've done but the ones that that are heavy on my mind are the ones that slip through the cracks and it right. makes me think what what could I have done different uh, or whatever and but then you look at the the family situation and it's like when I go to the courthouse I'm the one that's standing up for them you know mm-hmm. so so I'm a CASA worker, if you know what that is. Do you know what a CASA worker is? No. So I I um, have, a CASA worker is an advocate for kids in foster homes. And, and I'm from Peoria County. I've got four kids that are in foster homes. Um, they're actually... Unfortunately, siblings, a, their mother had 16 kids, and every one of them are in foster homes. Um, wow. I developed my own way. They're very broken kids. I developed my own ways because what, what my job is as an advocate is I'm a court advocate for them. So my job is to go in and make sure that they're foster parents are giving them the things that they're getting paid to give to give to them okay make sure they have food they have clothing that they're treated properly you know how their school's going how they're getting along in the home are they happy in the home are they being treated good in the home Um, and those are private visits like I have to make the foster parents go in another room they're private visits okay so that child can trust me. That's what I'm there for is to stand up for them. 
So they, they first of all, I have to build trust because I'll guarantee you every single one that I start with do not trust anybody. They don't trust the courts. They don't trust anybody to take care of them. And it's it's a very sad situation. But so the first thing I have to do is, is take quite a bit of time to get them to trust me, to know that I'm on their side, that I'm here to, to be your advocate, to go to court for you if you're not happy where you're at, if you're not getting the things that you need. And, and I'm talking schooling, counseling, everything, medical, all of it. And I can tell you that 90% of them are not getting what they're supposed to. It's a shame. And, and that's a shame in itself, too. Um, also, the, one of the saddest things that I came across in just, um, obviously, you know, it's private information, so I don't give out names or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But like I said, four of the ones that I have, they're siblings, and they're, you know, they're all in different homes and they're not allowed to like know where each other is and visit, which that's kind of sad too. But so the youngest one is seven. I went to visit her. She was probably my easiest because she was the youngest and she hadn't had so much bitterness yet. Okay. But she's smart. So we sit down and we're talking And I'm just, you know, asking her general questions. So how's school going, blah, blah, blah. And she says, Miss Christie, can you tell me why the the court keeps letting my mom have more babies? Hmm. I said, what what do you mean? Well, my mom, my mom is having another baby. How do you know that? Because my, my foster mom is good friends with my real mom. See, that's not allowed. That's not allowed, but it's happening. And I I didn't know how to answer that because obviously abortion is against the law. But um, in her case, her mom's a prostitute and that's what she does for a living. And she keeps popping these babies out and they just keep going into the foster care system. But here's a seven-year-old girl wanting, wanting to know why the court is letting her mom keep having these babies. You know, seven years old. Um, Her brother, I finally got to. um, I could not get him to talk to me for nothing because of my color. He was so against my color. And I finally, I I asked his foster mother, I said, what does he like to do? And she said, all he does is play video games. And I I said, okay. And at that time it was, um, he had a Wii. And I said, you know what? My son used to have a Wii. Okay, that gives me a good idea. So the next time I came, I brought, I brought my Wii thing. And, and I, I went in to talk to him because he always would just sit there and look at the ground. And he, didn't, he wouldn't say a word to me. He, he truly thought I was going to be against him. And I said, so how's school going? I heard you got in a little bit of trouble. We need to talk about that. He looked up at me and he said, I don't have to talk to you. And I said, you're right. You don't. How about, I said, do you bowl? you bowl on we he said heck yes I said let's go bowl so as we're bowling I'm talking to him and he's answering me because he's distracted he doesn't even realize he's talking to me he's telling me everything I need to know as he's bowling he doesn't even know it but he had fun and and he looked at me at the end of it and he said you're pretty good at that. Do you, do you have kids? Do you play with your kids? And I said, yeah, if I, if I get a chance to, I try to, I wish I had somebody like that. So I see where all this comes from, all of it. And there's got to be some answers because he's so bitter and he keeps getting in trouble and it's all out of anger, but he doesn't get counseling. That, you know, they shut down places even with, um, well, like Catholic social services because it's religious, but it's not really really. I mean, yeah, it came from a Christian environment to begin with, but the foster parents didn't teach religion in the houses, but they had to be shut down because of religion. So, so there's less places for them to go to so a lot of them are in the streets 
and they're trying to survive on their own. So I'm trying to come up with something that we can bring into that maybe, especially the summer, even a half of a day would help. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I do. I, I just, you don't think that's going to happen? No, I'm just, I'm so frustrated. It just, uh, I've, like I said, I had many conversations about the, the issues in uh, my hometown, and I've done my part. Uh, mentor kids, and when they say each one teach one, I've I've taken thousands. Thing what I'd like you to do then is because I would like a lot of kids from Peoria to listen to this. What what would you tell them to do if they don't have that outside help? Where they can go or give them some advice because they're going to be listening to this. I would tell them to try to trust more in their teachers. Okay. okay? And trust more in their teacher if they have issues. It's not a problem going with it. Going to their teacher, or going to their principal, or going to their counselor, to try okay. to help take the edge off, to try to help them out, and they need to look at people at the schools are, that they are there to help them and and not detain them and keep them from from uh, doing whatever they want to do. No, it's, it's school is essential. Okay. And one problem, and I'll say this to the parents is that when the kids do mess up at school, the parents don't take it face value. They're, my kid would never, sort of like my mom. My dad knew I was a little knucklehead, okay? <laughs> but these people at school, I'm, I'm positive that they are trying to help these kids. Me too. Okay? They're not getting paid a whole lot of money. So no, a lot not. of that's coming from the heart. If they would show the respect to the teachers and the administrators more, I think that could help solve the problem. And but that would teach the children got a lot of young. You've got a lot of young people having kids these days. Okay. To your point that uh, they don't care. They don't show up for their, their, uh, their activities and stuff like that. I encourage kids to get involved in after school activities outside of playing video games, you know? Absolutely. So they, they need to take advantage of that. But at the same time, the school's got to make those type of, uh, activities fun and inviting right. okay right. so there's right. I think it's more of the school systems doing their part and parents lacking in my opinion okay okay and okay. there's there's ways of disciplining without completely breaking them down you just Correct. You discipline in a way that's that's uh constructive like your dad did yeah, my dad, my dad was very smart. Mm-hmm. My dad was very smart, and I didn't realize it until I became a man how smart he was in in the way that uh, he was with me and my sisters. He was different, and all my friends used to love my dad because my dad spent time. Okay, exactly. My dad used to work uh, at night, so during the day he was free, and if I was playing ball in the park, my dad would come watch. If I was going to play at open gym, my dad was there and he would always joke and talk around with the other kids. And they say, you know, all the other kids, they love my pops because he was around. And even though my parents were divorced, mm-hmm. okay, he was still very much involved with me and my two sisters. Okay. It pained him. It hurt him. The divorce that he could not be with us 24 seven, but oh, shoot, he was there a lot. I could always count on him. And I, and I have think that developed... made you a better man too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I developed those traits uh, with my son. And he's my and stepson, he's... but I call him my son. I call him my son. Now I stopped putting that step before. Oh, I don't even son. believe in that word. I don't so like that word. With my son, I uh, always had his back. That's what I would tell him. He always had my back. And I do, and I still do to this day, that uh, I tried to show him the right way from things that I've learned, okay? I was not perfect at all growing up. None okay? of us are. And, uh, you know, people look at me as a role model. Hey, okay, that's on you. But uh, I try to bring up my son in a way that he would prosper and be able to enjoy 
the fruits of life like he is now. And he is doing that. Yes, he is. He's doing great. And that's that's very got a couple. He's got a a son. He got another one on the way. He's got a great job. He's doing well. He's happy. And I'm happy for him. But there was knuckleheads that he was hanging around that I'd have to tell him, you need to disassociate yourself with them because they're going to bring you down. The same thing that my parents told me, there was people that they did not want me hanging around, but they were my boys. They were my boys. I loved them. And my parents were right. A couple of them dudes, one of them's dead. The other one's been in prison most of his life and was addicted to drugs. Those were my boys, though. And my parents didn't want me hanging around with them. And you don't don't understand that until you become a man. That sometimes you, well, you end up finding out that you got to put yourself around positive people. Absolutely. And, and uh, I, I just wanted to add to that, that parents need to know this. It's tough love. And, you know, a lot of them just don't want their kids to be mad at them or not like them or whatever. So, you know, they want them to be think they're cool, whatever. But that's not our job to be cool. And it's not, you know, it's not our job to be their best friend. It's our you job. Can, you can be authoritative without being a a hole. You can. Absolutely. You just have to you just have to learn how to do it. And there's there's no formula. There's nothing I can write down to tell you how to raise your kids. Nope. Every kid, not a book every kid is different. Every kid is all I'm sorry about the background. There's just so much going on and things I gotta tend to, but I just want to say that there's every every kid is different. And you got to find uh your way. And I, I, I helped raise a, a wonderful young man. And I've had many kids that come through my program whose parents reach out to me. The kids reach out to me to ask me uh, certain things. And I don't know everything. I can only just tell you what I know. That's all. Right. That's right. it. All I can do is just tell you what I know. Okay. And if you don't learn from, from my crazy ass, then I've been around the block. I went, I went to 94 countries. I had to learn something. Right. And I'm 57. And I remember Richard Pryor said this in one of his stand-up comedy routines. He said, you don't get to be old being no fool. Oh, I like that. You don't get to be old being no fool. You don't get to. Yeah. Well, it it was a skit that he had. You don't get to be old being no fool. There's a lot of young dead people or something like i don't know but okay so just to end i got to go you have to go can you can you just tell me when your next um basketball thing like what what time of the year does it start so i can put that out there my camp is always the first monday in august and in your town Pekin, i have a lot of kids that come to the camp from Pekin. i'm very proud of that and and have gotten to know their parents over the years but my camp is always the first monday in August, but it's so it's so spread out now. The kids are coming from almost 100 communities for a week of brotherhood and sisterhood and hoops and and building relationships, bridging gaps between communities. That's what's cool about it. Yeah, but uh, it's only for a week. That's all I can do is I can control it for a hey, week. We Once they leave the gym, we I appreciate mean, what you're doing. Okay. Thank we really you. appreciate it. And thank you for coming on and sharing your story. And hopefully we can get this out to the parents and the kids and do some good. I hope so. You take care, right. Christy. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's another wrap. You know, it just amazes me every time I have somebody new on. I just feel so blessed that I am able to do this and reach out to so many people with all of the life struggles. Please help us by supporting us by taking this episode and all the other episodes that you've listened to. Rate us, share it as much as possible to any and everybody that you know of that it could in some way help because That's what Life Struggles Podcast is all about, helping others with their life struggles. 
See you next time.